When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 93, and we are recording on August 7th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello! Hello! No one is recording from their closet today. No, I am not in the, I am not in my closet today. They have seemed to have stopped whatever the heck they were doing. I never found it. Like I walked on, I walk around my block a lot of times uh, a week slash day on errands and I've never, I never found what they were doing. (laughs) It's raining today too, which I am delighted with. It's like a little taste of fall here. Um, So I don't think even if they were still doing it, they couldn't be like drilling anything the rain i don't think who knows i don't i yeah no idea <laughs> what uh what you reading amanda oh well <laughs> <laughs> i was going to start the fourth game of thrones book because i keep seeing you know the new season just started and mm-hmm. i keep seeing it everywhere and i was like oh fine i've like been waiting for winds of winter to come out before i start the fourth one but whatever um but instead <laughs> um, my library hold came up for georgia peaches and other forbidden fruit by j robin brown um, which so, so I started that because you know library holds you only have mm-hmm. but so much time, and I have infinite time until the next Game of Thrones book comes out. So true. So, um, so and I really I read like half of it last night. It's a contemporary YA novel about a kid. She's I think she's a high school senior. She's going into her senior year of high school. She's a lesbian. She lives in Atlanta, and she is a preacher's like an evangelical preacher's daughter. Her dad is cool with it and like her life is fine or her friends are lesbian. She's very out in her life in Atlanta, but then her dad remarries um, a woman and remarries a, woman, a much younger woman and they move to rural Atlanta for her because his church is like a radio show. He does, he's the radio evangelical. So he can pretty much do it from anywhere. So they move to rural Georgia and her father asks her to go back in the closet and like pass a straight for her senior year of high school because it's rural Georgia and he's afraid of what's going to happen to her if she's like out. And so in exchange, she agrees to do it in exchange for getting her own radio show uh, as part of his church uh, where she is like basically going to try and like go on this radio missions trip to the people of rural Georgia to make them accepting of the LGBTQ community and like other people. But she's doing all of this while passing is straight. But then she falls for a girl in one of her classes. And of course it gets complicated. So I'm like halfway through it and I'm obsessed with it. And I'm like really interested to see how this turns out. Cause like she's justified, I mean, of course, justifiably angry from the moment her dad asks her to do this after spending so much of her childhood, like being accepted by him. And then like, I'm really, I don't know, like I'm so interested in how that's going to play out. And I really love the, the conceit of like, she's going on a missions trip to straight white evangelical Christians. <laughs> like that is amazing. And so needed, so needed. Um, so that's what I'm reading. What about you? Um, I was doing another one of my late night browsing of the library's <laughs> ebook collections. Yes. <laughs> and I found a book called Stargate, uh, by Pauline Gedge, who I'd never heard of before. Apparently she's a Canadian science fiction author. And I was like, wait, was that original movie based on a book like that I oh. didn't know about? So I borrowed it and I've been reading it and it, it is not anything to do with, oh. <laughs> with the original story. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's not like if you had told me that the Stargate folks read it, and then we're like, but what if we did it this way? I would believe you. Like, there's similarities in terms of, like, the gate structure. But otherwise, it has nothing to... Like, there's all of these... Um, what are they called in the book? I can't, Like, they're sun lords. And they are sort of the caretakers of these different star systems. Like, they're each attached to a specific system. And they have gates that let them travel to different systems and, like, see each other. And they have a council. And then, but then there's this, like, maker who's now the unmaker who's sending bad things to the different systems. And they're trying to fight it off. And it's all very 
sort of like mythical slash folklorical feeling. So not at all like the vibe of the the Stargate movie, which I was obs- I, I confess to not having watched any of the TV shows, but I was obsessed with that movie when it first. Oh, came same. Out. I love the movie, yeah, but I'm so not good. It's so good. So it's different, but similar ish, and so that's interesting. I'm very curious to see how this is going to end. Um, so yeah, that is what I'm reading. Well, let me tell you about how the show works before we get into our recommendations for today. It is obviously a reading recommendations show, which means you send us questions about what you should read next or what you should give to your aunt for her birthday or what your book club wants to read, any of those things and any other reading questions you have about what should be next on your pile, we are happy to help you with. Um, We will, oh, well, you can, how can you send us these questions? Let's talk about that first. (laughs) You can send them to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode. Um, we will occasionally email a response to you if we are if your question is time sensitive and we're not going to get to it on air in time or for other reasons per- perhaps, but mostly just time sensitive. Um, and if your request is time sensitive, please make sure to note it at the top of your email subject line or at the top of the form when you send it in. Uh, we do our best to get to those when we can, uh, but the clearer you make it, the easier it is for us. And this week, for the first time ever, but we said we were going to do this, we have some feedback from the Get Booked listening community for other picks uh, based on the questions from last week. So Amanda is going to tell us about those. We got so many. Once we, I guess once we mentioned that we were going to start doing this, we got people who were like, <laughs> well, in that case. Um, so I picked three because there were just a lot. And both of the, or all three of these came from um, Book Riot Insiders. Uh, some of them were left on the, show, the comments um, of the actual episode. So you can leave us this feedback. If you have books that you want to recommend to people, uh, or you want to answer their questions uh, along with us, then you can do that in the comment section or you can tweet them to us. Or if you are a Book Riot Insider, just leave it in our Slack channel um, and we will obviously see it that way. Um, so to the questioner who was asking for pre-Hispanic fiction by Latinx authors, um, one of our insiders recommended The Heart of Jade by Salvador de Madariaga, um, which is, who is not, he's not from Latin America, but he's a, he's a, from Spain. So he's a Spanish speaking author. And this is a classic of historical fiction. I have not heard of it, but it comes recommended. So there you go. Um, and then another insider, I'm, I'm only not saying their names because I don't know their actual names. I only know their handles on the book right insider. So I don't know what their names are. Um, so thanks. Uh, so the other insider for Jenny, who was asking for like fish out of water stories set in Paris, uh, she recommended Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, which is a classic, uh, and French Milk by Lucy Nisley, uh, which is a graphic novel. And then Sarah, who wanted to like introduce her brother, who really loved Lonesome Dove, to more diverse books without kind of like alienating him, um, she recommended The Good Lord Bird by James McBride, which I co-sign. Old Filth by Jane Gardam, and The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood, which is an interesting pick. Yeah, that might be a little more obvious than yeah. some of these others. And maybe a little more dystopia than somebody who, who likes Westerns. I don't know. But The Good Lord Word, I absolutely agree with. Old Filth, I have not read. Um, so thank you all so much for sending in your suggestions also. And again, if you if you have any, you can send them. You can email them to us. Whatever. Getbooktobookright.com. However you want to do that is A-okay. All right. All right, so I'm going to read our first question, and then Amanda is going to do our first sponsor, and then away we will go. So our first question is from Quinn, who says, I'm trying to expand my perspective by reading more diversely, but my general disinterest in contemporary or literary fiction has been a major snag for me, particularly where African literature is concerned. I've tried to read Homegoing by Yajessi and Americana by Chimamanda and Gozi Adichie, but really struggled with them and decided to revisit them later. However, I have enjoyed genre fiction that involves African or African-American culture, specifically the works of Nnedi Okorafor and Tanana Reeve Douay. Can you give me some recommendations for African or African-American genre fiction? Oh, yes, we can. (laughs) Okay, so our first sponsor is Book of the Month. So Book of the Month is a rapidly growing service with a very simple goal, which is to make sure that you love what you read. So every month they search high and low with the help of their staff and of guest judges 
to find new books that you maybe wouldn't have found on your own that aren't being as buzzed as maybe they should be. And they have a special focus on debut authors. And so as much as um, really excellent titles can fall under the radar from the book media, debut novels, I think, suffer from this especially because they don't have that author uh, name to bank on. Um, So every month they pick five of the best books coming out that month and you get to pick which one of those you would like to buy. And they are delivered to your doorstep. Prices start at just 10 bucks for new hardcover releases, which is, of course, a great deal. Uh, they, new hardcovers are $25 or more, depending on where you get them. So this is a great value. And whether you get a book once a month or once a season, the exclusive price will, of course, save you lots of money. Um, and if you don't, if you have no interest in the books that they've chosen for that month, those five books, you can skip a month anytime. And you don't just have to pick one. You can get as many of them as you want sent to your doorstep. So just for example, um, the books that they've picked for August include like Little and Lion uh, by Brandy Colbert, which is YA, Fierce Kingdom by Jen Phillips, which is kind of like a thriller, um, The Blinds by Adam Sternberg, Eat Only When You're Hungry by Lindsay Hunter, um, and The Hearts and Visible Furies by John Boyne. So there's a lot of different genres to pick from, a lot of different um, styles of writing, something for everybody. Um, so go check that out. You can go to get booked, no, excuse me, you can go to bookofthemonth.com slash booked to sign up and get your first book for 10 bucks. And thank you for sponsoring the show. Liberty is one of those judges, isn't she? She is. Liberty is a judge for Book of the Month. I don't know if she does she, it every month. I think she picked the John Boyne. I'm pretty okay. sure she picked the John Boyne. Not that yeah. that should sway your choices <laughs> at all. She shows up on their Instagram account every now and then, and I'm like, oh, I know her. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so African or African-American genre fiction. I'm just going to go. Um, so I picked The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden, which I don't. I don't know how to describe to you, which is <laughs> which is difficult because this is a show about describing books. So this is kind of new. It came out, I think, in June, and it's set in South Africa in the year 2064, so it's near future. And it's very Nettie Okorafor-ish in that it combines uh, folklore or mythology or religious elements of the culture that she's looking at with like robots and artificial intelligence. So it's got it's very sci-fi fantasy crossover, like Nick, uh, like Nettie. Nettie's books tend to be, except... The Prey of Gods is so much more bonkers and violent and weird than anything Nnedi Okorafor has written. So if you would like Nnedi Okorafor, but grosser, I think this would probably be a good pick for you. It's like, it's so, what? Okay, so it's like, it's about five five characters who are all living in South Africa. Uh, a teenage boy, a queer teenage boy who like, who discovers when he takes a new hallucinogenic drug that he's got like weird powers. Um, a 10 year old girl who uh, lives in a Zulu village and is maybe or, or may not be a demigod. There's an actual demigoddess who lives off the fear and pain of humanity, but hasn't really had any of that because people are depending on science now and not really doing the religious thing anymore. So she goes, she decides that she's going to like take back humanity and end the world and unleash chaos onto people, the people of South Africa so that she can have her power back again. And, um, it's also told a little bit from the perspective of a couple of um, AI robots who are like personal assistants. They're, they're essentially like large smartphones with yeah. consciousness and um, legs. Yeah, they with legs that like follow people around instead of like being carried. Um, and then they they like develop consciousness. Uh, you know. Skynet. Skynet happens in South Africa with demigods, and then there's a war between all of these people. Oh, there's also a councilman who is. Um, I don't, is, he's not transgender. He no, he's a drag queen. Yeah, he's a crossdresser and like wants to be a singer, but he's also a politician and it's just everything, everything is happening at once. Um, and it's like the cover is really creepy with that little girl. It's the creepiest cover I've ever seen in my life. Um, and that's what's going on. There's like crab and dolphin sex. I just don't even, drugs. There's a lot of drugs. There's a lot of weird animal creatures and a lot of death. Lots and lots of death. But it's also funny. Like, there's some really funny funny moments. (laughs) And weird. And it's just great. And I I just love it. It's, like, the most head-scratching, awesome, fun, weird book that I've read in a long time. And I think if you like Nettie Okorafor, which you do, you should probably check this out. So that's The Prey of Gods by Nikki Drayden. 
Obviously, I co-sign. I like <laughs> resist interjecting. <laughs> it is funny. Like the I crab loved it. Yeah, like it is gross, thing. but it's also funny. But it's weird. But it's smart. But it, like it's it's a whole. It's and like, it's like tragic when the ro- like some of the robot characters die who you don't think you're going to oh, care about because they're robots. Spoilers, spoilers, Amanda. Well, spoilers. I mean, there's like a majillion robots, and they're hard to tell apart because <laughs> they're robots. It's just oh. all right. Um, <laughs> my pick for you is Kaya Shanti Wilson, who has written two novellas. And I have decided to pick one for you, even though they're both my favorite. But, like, one of them is my favorite by a hair. Um, But before I start describing the book, I want to give a trigger warning for family abuse. Uh, So if you don't want to hear about that, you can fast forward a little bit. So A Taste of Honey is about a young man named Akib who lives – he's part of the court of this emperor. And he is in charge of the animals and the beasties, and he's kind of like a low-key person. And there is a visiting embassy – and they have soldiers with them, and he falls for one of the soldiers. And in his country, uh, homosexuality is illegal, so they have to have a secret relationship. And the book is kind of about, like, what happens when you fall in love, what happens when your love can't be public, um, and what happens when the person you love asks you to go away with them, but you're still loyal to your family. And there's a lot of family dysfunction. The His older brother is abusive towards him to kind of, like, keep him in line, and you start to see why he is kind of the way he is. And even though this is a very short book, like, there's kind of a big twist, um, and you're just like, how did you pack all of this story into this, like, tiny little amount of pages like it feels like a much bigger story than the page count would imply and when the twist came like my jaw literally dropped I was like what um so I just I but yeah both of his his other novella is uh, Sorcerer of the Will Deeps and it's also amazing um but I I just just by like a touch I loved A Taste of Honey just a slight bit more um so that uh is Kai Ashanti Wilson's A Taste of Honey um and I want to give a quick shout out to the author Nayla Hopkinson who I don't think you've picked her up yet because you didn't mention her you should definitely read like literally anything she's written um so so that's those those are my picks for you Okay, question two is from Garrett, who says, I'm a convert to Islam, and I live in a small farm town in southern Ohio, not exactly the best place to find diversity, so I don't really get to interact with other Muslims. Therefore, I turn to books. I've been trying to find more books that have Muslim protagonists. I've read The Reluctant Fundamentalist, American Dervish, and The Taquacores? I maybe said that wrong. Um, Beyond those, I've not had much luck. Any suggestions, the protagonists can be male or female, would be greatly appreciated. Okay, um, I am going to recommend the kindness, the kindness of enemies by Lila Abulela, which I am actually in the middle of and am obsessed with. Uh, so you're following three three different storylines here uh, from three different perspectives. The first is Natasha. It's uh, present day. She is a history professor. She's half Russian and half Sudanese, and I, I think she lives in Scotland. Um, and she's researching the life of. A man named Imam Shamil, who was a 19th century Muslim Caucasian uh, rebel, like as in the Caucasus, Caucasian, um, who led uh, resistance against the Russians who in the 19th century invaded that area of the world. Um, And so she is researching that. And one of her students turns out to be related to Imam Shamil and has one of his like um, old bless you, old swords in his house. And so she she goes to visit him and talks to his family and, and all of that. The second point of view that you're following is Imam Shamil. So the, the book bounces back and forth between 2010 and like 1860 or whenever it was um, when he was alive and resist, fighting as a, as a rebel in, those, in the mountains of the Caucasus against the Russian invaders. And then the third point of view is Princess Anna, who is a Georgian princess, um, and she has married a Russian and is taken hostage by Shamil. And so you, you, I like, I love the historical fiction aspect of this book. I know I had never heard of this man and I knew nothing about Russia's invasion of the Caucasus in the 19th century. Like not, I didn't know that happened. I I mean, it makes sense obviously, but, uh, I was telling my friend about the book and I was, I was explaining, um, that the conflict of, of what the book is about. And he was like, so that, that war like keeps happening. And I was like, I think it actually Continues like it started in the 1860s and has maybe just never stopped. So it gives it gave a lot of really interesting background to like the Chechnyan conflicts and things that are still happening in that area um, that maybe had a lot of roots in this 19th century uh, invasion of Russian forces. Um, and then the in 2010, Natasha's student gets arrested 
for terrorism, for, um, you know, wanting to lead a resistance against Western forces. So it's drawing a lot of interesting parallels between um, those two characters, the young man in Scotland now after 9-11, and then also um, the resistance fighter in 19th century um, caucuses. I don't remember the country. The country that he's supposed to be from, I don't think exists anymore. It starts with the D and ends with Stan, and I don't remember the letters that are in between, and I'm sorry, but it's just a fascinating book. So that's The Kindness of Enemies by Leila Abulela. All right. I have an author for you again. I feel like it was very authory this week. Um, it is, <laughs> I don't know, it's, this happens sometimes. It was G. Willow Wilson, who is herself a convert to Islam. And so I thought you might enjoy her work, um, particularly because I, everything I can think of that she's written has a Muslim protagonist. So she has a sort of sci-fi fantasy, like both of those things, novel called Aleph the Unseen that's about a hacker who gets possession of like a very important slash magical book and has to go on the run and there's genies and there's like a giant like gun battle and all kinds of crazy stuff happens. Um, she also has a memoir about her conversion to Islam called The Butterfly Mosque, A Young American Woman's Journey to Love in Islam. Um, so it's uh, that like you might find some things to identify with even though it doesn't sound like you're necessarily, you know, have the same background, but uh, it, a conversion story is always interesting to read um, from other per people's perspectives. And then if you're interested in getting into some graphic novels, the Miss Marvel series that she is writing is amazing. Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, it's about a young woman named Kamala Khan who lives in New Jersey and um, is uh, Muslim and I... Uh, is she Pakistani? Ooh, I should know this. Yes. I'm, yes. She feel is, yes. very sure that she is Pakistani. <laughs> I'm like 97% uh, sure. I'm, I like, I'm more afraid of getting it wrong than I think I'm getting that I just am not right. Anyway, she's a Muslim <laughs> teenager in America. Um, and she is then suddenly, so she's like already struggling to sort of figure out what it means to be a teenager in America while also being an observant Muslim. And then, and you know, dealing with family expectations. And then she gets superpowers and like, like her life is not complicated enough. Uh, so it's a super fun series. It's really lovely, and I love the way that they've been handling her personal versus sort of superhero problems. There's a really great balance of those things. So I just threw a lot at you. It'll all be in the show notes, but the author is G. Willow Wilson. Her Twitter is also excellent if you want to check it out. I forgot to mention Salam Reads, which I had a note in here oh, to mention. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a publishing imprint. Salam Reads is a publisher. It's an imprint of Simon & Schuster, uh, I think. Yes that only publishes middle grade books for uh, by Muslim authors about Muslim characters. So if you want to like just go Google that publisher, um, they are publishing books. If you like middle grade, uh, like kids books, um, not, not early kids, but you know, like middle school age. Um, I've read The Gauntlet from them, which is like a really fun Jumanji style kind of um, sci-fi fantasy adventure. Uh, and also Amina's Voice, which is a really cute... Uh, middle grade book about a, a a little a little girl who's Muslim. She lives in Milwaukee, and she really likes to sing Aretha Franklin. And oh, it's just the best. Lovely. It's just the best, and it's so sweet and cute, and I just love it. So yeah, check that out. Nice. All right. Um, I I did double check. Kamala Khan is is she is Pakistani. I'm not wrong. Um, <laughs> I just I just was so nervous that I was going to get it wrong. Okay. Our next question is from Lee who says, I run a book club which has no theme and includes women of all ages and from all walks of life. Our first choice was A Man Called Ove, followed by The Poisonwood Bible and H is for Hawk. We like books that are not brand new so that we can get a hold of copies from the library. Yes, we still use the library. Do you have any recommendations of books that make for great group discussions? Thank you for your suggestions. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, so my first, my my pick for you is The Wangs Versus the World by Jade Chang, which is now out in paperback. So the odds are that your library has at least the hardcover since it's been out for a while and potentially, I don't know if libraries carry many paperbacks, but anyway, they probably will have copies. And this book is one of my favorites from last year. It is a family road trip novel told from multiple perspectives of the family. So that to me is like one of the quintessential signs of a good book club is that you have, or a book 
good book club book is that you have multiple perspectives and like a big journey that people are on. So there's so much to talk about. Um, it's about obviously the Wang family who are Asian American and the father, Charles, is like came over from China and built himself a cosmetics empire. And then in like the 2008 crash, he lost everything. He made some bad choices about the business and now they are 100% broke. So he rounds up his kids from like their fancy boarding school, um, puts them in the car, and with their uh, stepmother, they head on a cross country trip from their home in California to upstate New York, where the oldest daughter, who has like, you know, graduated and has has a career of her own, has a house. So they're going to go to Santa's house and like figure out what's going to happen next. So obviously there are a lot of hijinks along the way. There's a lot of big personalities in this book. Um, some of them are not particularly endearing, but it's also very funny. Uh, she's just got such a great sense of humor. Um, there's situational humor, there's like, you know, conversational ridiculousness, there's, it, there's just a lot to love in this book. Uh, and I think it's just like perfect book group fodder. So that's The Wangs versus the World by Jade Chang. Okay, I went with Hammerhead, The Making of a Carpenter by Nina McLaughlin, because you said you read Aces for Hawk, and I feel like these two came out around the same time and were talked about a lot, like, together. Um, so I think that you guys would probably like this. So it's a memoir of a woman who's a journalist and spent, like, most of her 20s working for a newspaper in Boston. And then she just, like, gets tired of it. She doesn't like the grind. She's not enjoying her work. So she, like, on a whim kind of applies for a job she sees on Craigslist for a carpenter's assistant. And the Craigslist ad specifically asks for women, like, women strongly encouraged to apply sort of a thing. So she, she's, she goes to this, like, audition, which is essentially following this carpenter around and seeing how she does. Um, and she gets the job, despite the fact that she has no background in carpentry, doesn't know the difference between, you know, the two different kinds of screwdrivers and has never picked up a tool in her life. And then, so the book is about going from, like, being a classics major who was worked at a newspaper at a desk for her entire adult life to, like, what it's like to go from that to working a manual labor and like the people she encounters along the way, um, her boss, whose name is Mary, who turns to out to be like this like life mentor, larger than life kind of character uh, in her life. And it's interspersed with these reflections on like Ovid. I mean, you know, you can, you can tell she's a classics major. She works all of those references and uh, like thoughts and feelings from the fiction that she's read and these classic books that are these classics that she's read. Like, classics of antiquity, not classics like Dickens, like, old. Um, and she works all of that into, like, musings on re renovating someone's kitchen. And it's just really funny uh, and interesting. And since it's related to uh, that kind of dichotomy between working with your hands and working at a desk job, I feel like, you know, everybody's had experience with one or both of those things. So there's a lot of fodder for conversation here. Um, so that's Hammerhead, The Making of the Carpenter by Nita McLaughlin. All right, before we get to our next question, I am going to tell you about our second sponsor, which is Portrait of Vengeance by Carrie Stewart Parks. It is about a forensic artist named Gwen Marcy. So forensic artist that's like FBI, forensic CIA stuff, which is my favorite. Um, yeah. I watch so many seasons of Bones, can I just tell you? Uh, so anyway, sorry, side note. So, if, But if you are that kind of you know fan, you are going to want to pick this up. So it's about a woman named Gwen Marcy who has had a difficult past, but she's like keeping it you know, sort of in her past. And she's doing her job, doing her thing, her forensic artist thing. But she ends up on the investigation for the case of a missing child in Lapway, Idaho. And details of the case surface that are very similar to the trauma that she had as a child. And so her investigation, which takes her into contact with the Nez Perce uh, people of Lapway and a bunch of other people who are maybe not so interested in making her investigation easy for their reasons of their own. Uh, or she's drawn into that. Plus, on top of that, she's dealing with all of the resonances between this case and what happened to her past. And they are trying to find a missing girl, so the clock is ticking. The author, Carrie Stewart Parks, is herself a forensic artist uh, who teaches FBI, CIA agents, and police officers across the nation. And the book is based loosely based on four different cases that she worked on. So if you are into that kind of, you know, procedural stuff that gets beyond just police work into 
you know, forensics, this is definitely something you're going to want to pick up. Um, if you like female detectives, which is a thing I always really like, this is definitely going to be on your list. And so that is Portrait of Vengeance by Carrie Stewart Parks. Okay, question four is from Christiana, who says, I'm sorry to report I'm in a serious book rut. I usually average three books a week, and now I'm lucky if it's three a month. Hashtag librarian problems, I know, but I miss getting lost in a great read. I picked up Garden Spells after hearing you rave about it on the show, and I think it, that might be the ticket. Undeniably amazing, crowd-pleasing books that make you say, it's so good, in a rabid voice to everyone you talk to. I read tons of YA, but am not so into nonfiction. However, any and all genre fiction for all ages is welcome. Okay. Um, I went with Every Hearted Doorway by Seanan McGuire for several reasons. It's pretty short, so if you're in a reading rut, it's not going to you know, be so long that you're going to not want to pick it up. Uh, it has magical elements like garden spells, and it is a fantasy. It's fantasy YA, but it's also fairly dark, so I feel like it would be a good crossover uh, selection. Um, so it, Every Heart of Doorway is about a children's school. Well, it's ostensibly a children's school, like a, you know Eleanor West Home for Wayward Children is what it's called. Um, but it's actually a kind of... Uh, well, boarding school, but also recovery place for kids who have gone through portals into other worlds and then come back and can't get back in. So, you know, you're Alice in Wonderland, you're Narnia kind of characters who have, but in real life, who have gone off onto these other worlds, um, lived there, made a home and a life in these places. And then for one reason or another, it, it, you know, it's different for every kid, been kicked out. And now they're back in this regular ho-hum kind of drum world. They don't really know how to operate anymore. Of course, their parents think that they were abducted. And no one will believe them when they say that they fell through a small doorway in their closet to, like, a magical fantasy land. Um, and so these kids come to this home to recover, to, like, learn, if they can, how to operate again in the real world um, and perhaps how to stop hoping that, that they'll ever get back to those magical worlds because it's probably not going to happen. So the main character, has this has happened to the main character. She's gone off to like the, an underworld um, is the world she fell into. She comes back uh, and she is in this school and then the students start dying, like really mutilated, corpse, bloody, gross murders kind of a thing. And she's the new girl, so people, of course, suspect her. There are a couple of characters who lived in like a gothic Frankensteinish sort of world for a while, so people suspect them because they came back kind of gruesome and a little weird. And so you're solving this mystery, but it's also a really interesting, like, I don't know, character study of what, what happens after, after, you know, the end of those books. And Narnia, the, the other Narnia books touches on what happens to, like, Susan after she comes back a little bit, but it's very judgmental. And then basically C.S. Lewis just makes her forget her time in Narnia. This is not that. This is, like, what what would life actually be like for these kids? But it's it's so interesting and weird and there is a sequel so you can go read that it just came out i think this month um so that's every heart of doorway by shauna mcguire mm, i got stuck on this crowd pleaser phrase i was like oh what are like the crowd pleaser books um that are just so much fun and so i picked last call at the nightshade lounge by paul kruger which I thought was a, a just super, super fun. Um, and there's a lot of different things that can appeal to a lot of different people. So hopefully it might work for you. Um, it is sort of a new adult fantasy, if that was a category, which it's not. Um, <laughs> it's about Bailey Chen, who has just graduated from college and is like a super type A, very motivated, you know, went to a good school and graduated with honors and now she has no job. Um, and she's living at home and she's like filling out every application she can think of and she's kind of getting depressed and she's trying to reunite with her best friend from before, but now things are different because they're older. So she ends up getting a job as a bar back at Zane, which is her friend's name, at his bar. Um, and it turns out that Zane is not just a bartender. Like, he, they fight monsters. They are bartenders that fight monsters um, with the magic of specific cocktails. So, like, if you make a cocktail with this special magical liqueur, you will have superpowers. And so she gets sucked into this sort of, you know, just below the surface world in Chicago of demons and monsters and this society of bartenders who fight who fight magical crime. <laughs> it's really super entertaining. Um, there's a lot. I really liked Bailey. Like, she's very, she's just, she's like a little... 
She's a little, she's so type A and, and yet also so adrift that it's like a little bit annoying, which is so real. Like I have known the, I have friends who have gone through this situation. Um, they didn't get to fight monsters with alcohol, but like, you know, that it's, it, it feels very real in that stuff in that, you know, character part of it. And then the magic is just so enjoyable there's like big epic fights and there's a lot of representation on the page, which I really enjoyed. So there's just, it's just really fun. It's just super fun. Um, there are also little cocktail recipes in it like that, you know, it's, I thought if I were a bigger drinker, I would have tried some of these things, but I don't do vodka and several of them are vodka. Like, no, anyway, you might be interested in some of the recipes as well. So that's last call at the nightshade lounge by Paul Kruger. Okay, the next question is from Ian, who says, My girlfriend read Infinite Jest last year, and she loved it. Since then, she's read everything that DFW ever wrote. Now she's sad because she can't find anything that measures up. She tried Pynchon and Delillo, but neither of them really did it for her. Do you have any recommendations for someone who loves Infinite Jest? I love this question. I also loved Infinite Jest. Do you want to go first, though? Because I keep sure. talking. <laughs> okay, so roll talk. I have never read Infinite Jest. Well, <laughs> and I'm... Not gonna like, and it's not because of any like, but it's just so big and I can't. And no, so uh, maybe one day, but anyway. So I took this question to Jen. I knew she would like it because I, when I saw it on the spreadsheet, I gave it to Jen and was like, Jen, look at Infinite Jess question. And then she had so many suggestions, <laughs> I just stole one from her because <laughs> I have, I got nothing just because I don't, I don't know. So we're, this is really a two part Jen recommendation, but one of them is going to be done in my voice is basically what we're doing right now. So The Residue Years by Mitchell S. Jackson. The backstory behind this book is so fascinating. So this is like a autobiographical novel, you know, one of those uh, kind of things um, about a kid named Champ. Well, he's not a kid. He's an adult, but uh, whatever, uh, who lives in Portland, Oregon, which is America's whitest city. Uh, he lives there in the 90s during, you know, the crack e epidemic. And so the book switches perspectives back and forth between Champ, who is the semi-autobiographical character that Mitchell S. Jackson wrote, um, and his mother, Grace. Grace has just gotten out of, like, of rehab, of a drug treatment program. She has four kids, and she's trying to like make good. She's trying to stay clean, keep her family together, get a job, um, stay clean, and stay clean, mostly. And then Champ is also trying to keep his family together. He's trying to help his mother accomplish all of these goals. He's trying to be a good example for his younger brothers. Um, he has a pregnant girlfriend, so he's trying to like save money to take care of the, the two of them. Um, but the only way that he knows how to make any of that happen is by selling crack. So when he needs money to pay the rent for his mother, who is having trouble finding a job, or to um, you know feed his younger brothers... This is what he does. He goes out on the streets and he sells crack in Portland, Oregon. And the backstory of the book is that Jackson himself spent a lot of his younger years in jail for doing just that. And then when he got out, he wrote this book, which is like, I mean, brilliant. And it's it won, it won like the Penn Hemingway Award um, and the Hurston Wright Legacy Award. And it's just this beautiful, like award winning. Um, he's got a master's of fine arts from NYU. And it really is like a, since it's set in Portland where he grew up, it's like such a fascinating look at growing up like black and poor during the drug epidemic in like the whitest city possible, which might be a nice kind of juxtaposition to Infinite Jest and David Foster Wallace. Um, but it does make you, I mean, the book is so page turnery almost that and, and like brilliant and it makes you really wonder like how many amazing writers like kids who have a way with words and then just were doing what they could to feed their families ended up in jail because of like really horribly racist laws and never got a chance to like put that brilliance out there it's just like it's very thought-provoking so that's the residue years by mitchell s jackson yeah, I love that book. I was telling Amanda that um, when I first read it, it made me want to run around to people and being like, okay, you say like you're scared of Infinite Jest. Read this book instead because it's significantly shorter and has no footnotes, but it's about <laughs> all of the same themes. Like it's about addiction and recovery. It's about like complicated family life. And structurally, it's also like Infinite Jest is not a straightforward structure and neither is this book. Like it moves around a bunch in time and it, it just 
like it I mean I'm not saying like he was trying to write infinite jest I'm just saying there are so many pieces of it that remind me of it uh so yeah I I'm so I was so excited to be like Amanda Amanda this book (laughs) (laughs) um so the one that I picked I am not done with it yet so this is sort of on spec um but it is The Grey House by Miriam Petrosian translated by Yuri Machkasov and it is as long as Infinite Jest, which is why I'm not done with it. It's like 700 plus pages. It's incredibly Girl. long. I know. It's really, it's going to take me a while. But it is about a uh, house, like with a capital H, for disabled students. Um, a lot of them are in wheelchairs or they have prosthetic limbs or, you know, various forms of physical disability. And they've all sort of been sent to live in this group home, um, not too far from like a housing project, but like nobody goes there that doesn't absolutely have to. And it's got all of these complicated internal structures, uh, like the groups of children and the way that they relate to each other. Like that part of it is reminding me a lot of all of the, the school stuff in Infinite Jest. Um, there hasn't been like an eschaton comp yet, but like I'm kind of waiting for it. Um, and, you know, the teachers are kind of useless and let the students like sort of, you know, not run mad, but like they all like kind of, they produce their own internal political structure. Um, But there start to be student deaths and there are sort of these, you know, quote unquote, outside forces putting pressure on the house. Um, And so now, like, everything is just getting even weirder than it already is. Like, it's very it's a very weird book. You're not sure what's going on. There's a lot of really intense, like internal description so it's reminding me a lot of infinite just but like with disability and you know student like students who are not necessarily like you know geniuses or anything well some of them are but they they've been isolated for different reasons than the students in infinite just have been isolated so if that's the kind of book that she's looking for she might want to give this one a try so that's the gray house uh, by miriam petrosian and translated by yuri machkasov okay question six is from sammy who says i really enjoy horror but i've never found anything that really scares me i would prefer horror that's more in the vein of american horror story than lovecraft I like horror that is just on this side of being real and very, very scary. Okay, I went with Hex by Thomas Old Huvelt, which is translated by Nancy Forrest Flyer. Um, and this was originally written to take place in a Dutch village, but then he rewrote it to take place in an American village uh, in the Hudson Valley, like in the same kind of uh, area as, what am I thinking of? Uh, like the Headless Horseman. Oh, Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Uh, so it has a very Sleepy Hollow feel to it, which, you know, I'm never going to upstate New York because apparently that's where all the ghosties are. Um, so it's about a little town or village really of like 3,000 people named Black Spring. It takes place in the present day and the people are normal, you know, um, they're just human beings living in, in suburbia outside of New York City uh, in the Hudson Valley, except the difference in is that this little town is haunted by the Black Rock Witch, whose name is Catherine. She was alive during the 16th century. She was executed for witchcraft. Her mouth and eyes were sewn shut and her arms were chained to her sides, except she's not dead. Like, they killed her and she came back and now she walks the streets. And she disappears and appears at will. Some of her her pattern, some of her movements have patterns to them. Sometimes she just appears wherever, wherever, including in people's houses. So, like, you're eating dinner, you look up and she's just there. Of course, she can't see or speak, so she just stands there and people have just kind of gotten used to it. She doesn't do anything except the weird appearing and disappearing. And so she'll show up and they'll, like, toss a dish towel over her face so they don't have to look at her and then they'll just kind of carry on. (laughs) So it starts off kind of funny. Like, it's a little bit comedic. I mean, it's creepy that you could wake up and at the end of your bed is this horrible witch who's just standing there staring at you. Um, But... She doesn't do anything, but she does She does whisper. Like, one of the stitches in the corner of her mouth has come a little loose, and she can whisper. If you listen to her, you will go off and commit suicide. Like, that's what happens if you listen to her speak. So it does have this undercurrent of danger, but for the most part, you know, you just don't listen and put something over her face, and you're fine. Uh, except the town and the, the, the elders of the town have put together this like very complicated surveillance system because the other side effect of living in this village is that if you leave, once you've seen her, if you leave 
you can't. <laughs> like you leave and then you are overcome by despair and this desire to die. If you're gone for long enough, you will commit suicide. So once you, if you're born in the town or you move there and you spot her, you can't ever leave. So they can't let images of her get out because that would end the world, right? Um, and they can't let new people see her, uh, like visitors, tourists or anything like that. So they've got this complicated surveillance system to like surveil the people who live there to make sure they don't put out any images of her. And uh, they also monitor her movements so that when she pops up in the middle of the grocery store, they can like cover her with a display of mustard or something so that people don't see her. The teenagers in the town really start bucking against this. They like want Twitter <laughs> and they don't understand since she never does anything, why it's such a big deal. And so they um, decide they're going to make her go viral. And if they make her go viral, someone from the outside world will come and solve their problem. And of course that has horrible unintended consequences. And it just, it goes from being comedic to being really horrifying super fast. And the book is essentially about what happens when people who are scared um, abandon law and like you know it's that kind of i feel like this is a common theme in horror but like if you scratch the itch of civility underneath we're all just kind of beasts that's what's happening here but it's super creepy and i made the mistake of reading it in a week when i did not have my kids at home and was alone i know it was dumb it was dumb it was a bad show i make bad life choices you guys and so i had to go to bed with all my lights on and my dog who i do not let sleep in my bed because she's a bed hog i had to get my dog in my bed and i like wrapped myself around her so she wouldn't leave it was the worst so there you go it's very definitely american horror story ish it's uh you know kind of tied to real life in a normal town but scary so that's hex by thomas old Hovelt, translated by nancy forrest flyer all right i'm a wimp you guys but <laughs> i i so i'm gonna recommend the scariest book that i finished <laughs> before i talk about the book uh, trigger warning for violence towards children the book is broken monsters by lauren bucus who i think is writes like super terrifying stuff but I I love it so I read it but she's like one of the only horror authors I will read um this one is about uh it takes place in Detroit and there is a detective named Gabriella Versado who has like seen a lot she's kind of jaded she's been on the force forever she's got a rookie uh um partner now and she's kind of like prepared to haze him a little bit like it, she's like very casual about life um she's got a teenage daughter named Layla and she's just really like you know doing her job, putting one foot in front of the other, like putting food on the table for her daughter. And then they catch a call for a murder that is super weird and super gross. They find a boy, but it's only the top half of a boy who's been fused to the bottom half of a deer dead on the side of the road. Um, And they start to discover other very strange murders around the city, like bodies that are not normal anymore but it it's not like making sense in like they can't make medical sense out of the way that the bodies are not normal and there's a couple of parallel narratives so you get Layla's perspective also and she and her friend are catfishing uh like predators online um which is a terrible idea for a teenager to do but you're a teenager and you do stupid things um and then there's a journalist named Jono who really is there like sort of doing the you know um destruction porn kind of journalism out of Detroit like oh you know the oh I hate that guy I, I forgot know, about that guy worst. oh my gosh <laughs> he's the worst um so he's this journalist who's really just out for himself like trying to get what you know do what he can to get exclusive stories and they all sort of kind of spiral in and out of each other's lives oh there's also a homeless man or there's a man named tk who is trying to keep his homeless family safe like there's and there's this monster like a serial killer who knows what is happening um and i thought that the, the there's like a lot of realism and that you know this is a, Chicago, a detroit detective you know she's like she's on the case and the the teenagers are also you know doing very normal bad choice teenager things but then <laughs> but then there's this like supernatural murder stuff going on so i thought it was terrifying there's a part that made me never want to go into an art gallery ever again um so give it a try (laughs) i don't know what to tell you she's got another book called the shining girls that involves a time traveling serial killer that you might also want to check out but again uh this is broken monsters by lauren bucus 
All right. Um, our last question is from Kea, is how I'm going to pronounce that. Sorry if I got it wrong. It looks like Leia, but with a K. Uh, who says, I've been going back in, oh, let's see. Oh, yeah, I've been going back and listening to some of your older shows, but I didn't see anything that specifically relates to books about or related to feminism. I think you might have missed a few, but whatever. <laughs> we're, we're happy to take your question. So that's my question. I think I've always been a feminist of some sort, but it seems to have peaked. I've never read any books specifically related to this topic, but I'm ready to dig a bit deeper. Can you recommend books to me as a sort of introduction to feminism? They can be fiction or nonfiction. I already have Bad Feminist, but I haven't read it yet. All right, Amanda. Okay, my pick for you is Here We Are, Feminism for the Real Real World by Kelly Jensen, who, full disclosure, is an employee of Book Riot. She is the editor of this anthology, um, which is a collection of essays, poems, comics, like illustrations and Instagram posts, all put together in a book. And the reason why I picked this for somebody who's looking for like an introduction to feminism is because it's very own voices. Like it, it's intersectional. And all of the, like, the essays or the, um, whatever they are, comics or whatever, talk about a particular aspect of feminism from that perspective. So, like, there are essays from trans women in this book. There are essays from women of color, uh, disabled women, women who are not from the U.S. and what their experience is like dealing with feminism outside of Western culture. All sorts of perspectives are presented here. And, but it's also, the book is YA. Like, it's intended for a teenage audience. So it's not overly complicated. You're not going to encounter a lot of, like, academic kind of feminism talk that, that can be kind of off-putting because if you don't know the terms, it's like, well, I don't understand what that means. Um, so you get a lot of different perspectives laid out in a very simple, cool, graphic sort of way. Graphic as in, like, with graphics, not like violent. Um, so that you can understand all of the, you know, the variety of perspectives that make up feminism and the, how there is no one feminism. There is just, you know, the, the experiences of women from around the world. There are also a lot of really famous names in this anthology. So like Mindy Kaling has an essay here, Wendy Davis, who um, I guess is most famous for, for doing the, um, what do you call it? Filibuster of the, um, of the Planned Parenthood defending, was it? Yeah. Yeah, in Texas. Uh, and um, there are a couple of essays. Amanda, Amanda Sternberg has a, um, has a selection in here about the particular beauty uh, pressures that uh, black girls face. Um, and there are a couple of essays from dudes. <laughs> like Daniel Jose Older, who's a book great favorite, has an um, essay in here, and so does Matt Nathanson, about like how to be a good ally. There's stuff about eating disorders and mental illness and like all the various and sundry experiences that women face. So I think this is a really good introduction to all that feminism can be in a package that's just like fun and easy to digest and not super complicated or overly wordy. So that's here we are, Feminism for the Real World, edited by our own Kelly Jensen. All right, my pick is also an anthology. We, Amanda and I, apparently, our brains went to the same place. Um, and this is the book that got me through a lot of last year. It's The Feminist Utopia Project, 57 Visions of a Wildly Better Future. The editors are Alexandra Brodsky and Rachel Cowder-Nalibuff. Um, and there are so many great uh, contributions in here. I say contributions because they're not all essays. Some of them are short stories and some of them are poems and some of them are interviews, but all of them, they asked 57-ish different people to imagine what their version of a feminist utopia looks like. And again, like famous names like Melissa Harris Perry is in here, um, Janet Mock. Uh, there's a bunch of really fascinating pieces. And what was most interesting to me is that I didn't necessarily, like their vision of a feminist utopia was not necessarily my vision of a feminist utopia, but it was all like good food for thought. Like, what does it look like? Like, what does actual equality look like in the future? Is it, you know, about economics? Is it about, you know, legal rights? Is it about how family structures? Like, what does it look like? And it's just really super fascinating and really thought provoking. And it will give you a lot of different people um, to look into what else they have done. 
It's definitely not like a feminism 101 primer because it doesn't deal directly with like, you know, terminology and theory, but it's all baked into these different personal perspectives. And I think that can be a nice thing when you're trying to figure out like, what does feminism mean to you? Like, here are a bunch of different visions. Like, what resonates? What doesn't resonate? Why doesn't it resonate? Like, these are good questions you can ask yourself. So that is the Feminist Utopia Project, 57 Visions of a Wildly Better Future. And that's our show. Huzzah! Huzzah! Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your feedback, and it helps other people to find the show. Thank you to today's sponsors. We really appreciate you helping keep the show on the air. Uh, you can find us on social media. I am on Tumblr these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. Um, I'm mostly on Instagram doing pictures of my dog and whatever I'm reading right now. So that's uh, at I'm Amanda Nelson. And we will talk to you next time.